From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Brian Mullady. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. You can also text the letters EWTN to 55000 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. Thursday to each and every one of you. Thanks uh, so much for tuning in and carving a little time out of your Thursday afternoon to join us here on EWTN's Open Line. Father Brian Milady is in the house. If you've got a question for Father, the number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Grab one of these open phone lines. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we extend the same invitation to you. Your number is 1-205-271-2985, and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1-205-271-2985. You can always send us an email, openline at ewtn.com, or you can text your question, text the letters EWTN, to 55000, wait for a response, text your first name and your question, message, and data rates may apply. I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall producing the program. Your call screener is Matt Kubensky and Jeff Burson handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host, as he is every Thursday, Dominican Father Brian Mullady. So Father, I have a question for you. Yes. Is it my sin or the sin of my parents that have made me so spiritually blind? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Well, I wanted to talk about the man born blind because at least in some parishes, they'll be reading that gospel this weekend for the um, the baptized, to prepare the baptized. Although there is another one in this cycle of readings for our liturgy, and that's the prodigal son. The man born blind is a very interesting section of the gospel because it has to do of course with sin it also has to do with the fact that this man has no natural uh, way in which he can experience healing even if as a physician were to use it most doctors take part healthy parts that are still in your body and they use it in order to apply the medicine to accentuate this and to destroy the infection or to change it. However, in the case of the man born blind, the implication is that this is a pure miracle, that there is no natural preparation for this miracle from the part of the man's eyes. It isn't that he lost his sight and it's being restored or whatever, it's that he was born this way. And when our Lord sees him, of course, he represents to us our own spiritual blindness. And it's the spiritual blindness that we experience as a result of the original sin. Because in the original sin, we lost spiritual sight. And spiritual sight can be defined as seeing the world as God sees the world, which only grace can bring us. So when we lost grace, 
we lost the ability to look at our world as God sees the world from the standpoint of eternity and not from time. His physical affliction is a symbol for our spiritual affliction. And Jesus, of course, has just proclaimed that he is the light of the world. And one of the great I am's of the gospel, according to St. John, I am, which of course suggests he's God, the light of the world. To bring this light back to those who dwell well in the Benedictus, we say, those who dwell in darkness and death. And the people who dwell in darkness would be the pagans and the people who dwell in the shadow of death are people on earth. And the people who dwell in shadow of death would be those saints of the Old Testament or even of pagan saints, perhaps, we don't know, who died before Christ came and were waiting for him to come. So, first of all, at Christ's word, he experiences a physical illumination. The leadership of Israel, of course, don't like this because they don't believe in our Lord. So they have this confrontation with him in which they try to get him to prove, in a sense, that this is a result of the miracle. Of course, he doesn't know who it is exactly who's performed this miracle. He, he doesn't know who our Lord is. He just knows that he was blind and now he can see. Three times they confront him about this. And as you say, one of them has to do with the fact that he's sinful and they're illumined, they're enlightened because they're leaders of the law. And so how can he possibly instruct them? How can he possibly show them any kind of spiritual illumination? And each time he is victorious in their basically interrogation or inquiries. Because the meaning of this miracle is, of course, that he has received faith. And you remember, he finds our Lord later in the temple, and our Lord says, I'm the one who's giving light to the world, but avoids sin, and then he sends him on his way. So it's not a result of sin in the, in the personal sense, you could say, that leads to his physical blindness. But, of course, all diseases, in a sense, for us, result from the original sin which we inherit as a race. So our Lord is be able to solve our physical blind, our spiritual blindness by spiritual illumination in baptism, which is connected to him who is the Redeemer and through his flesh brings back to us the light of faith, the light of grace, the light of the world, and the intellectual light which will prepare us for the final illumination, which is to see God. Now, we read this at this time during Lent because, of course, we're preparing in many parishes the neophytes, the people who haven't been baptized, for baptism to receive this spiritual illumination. But prescinding from that, all of us, therefore, must look deeply into our souls and ask, even though we've experienced baptism, how deep is our faith? How much have we allowed Christ to transform us in prayer so that we may actually see the world as God sees the world? Because that's the reason the world was created and it's the reason we were created. The Lord, therefore, is the light of the world and we, during Lent, must prepare ourselves constantly 
for that light to shine within us. You know, uh, during this COVID pandemic that we're hopefully coming out the other side of, you know, there one of the phenomenons that has emerged is you, 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 you're almost afraid for any reason whatsoever to cough or sniff, and uh, for fear that you'll be uh, ridiculed by those around you. And in ancient Israel, it was it was a little bit like that, wasn't it? I mean, if there was any kind of a malady going on, there was a certain faction of the population that assumed you were engaged in some sort of sinful activity. Yes, and that was especially true of things like leprosy. Because as you remember, the leper had to, well, ring a bell in front of them and shout something so the people would completely avoid him. Because leprosy, of course, is a virus that causes your flesh to corrupt. And the people thought that that must be because of sin, but also that it was so highly contagious. Now, we know today it is a little contagious, but not greatly. But they were so afraid that when it came to leprosy, they just tried to avoid the person completely. And they made them live outside the city, remember, in leper colonies and things like that. So, uh, yeah, the Lord is saying, well, physical, yeah, physical illnesses in some loose sense all have their relationship to uh, the original sin, but they're not a result of the personal sins of the people that did them. And uh, as a result, when he comes to cure the original sin, a part of that is either dealing with your sickness in a spiritualized way or that he will help you have courage to live through it or perhaps even seek the cure for your physical evil ailments. But the, the spiritual ailments are the real issue. Just getting started on a Thursday edition of EWTN's Open Line. If you'd like to be part of the program, the number to call is 833-288-EWTN. We've got a couple of phone lines open still and plenty of time for your calls at 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we'd love to hear from you. That number is 1-205-271-2985. And if you are outside of North America, we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1-205-271-2985. Two nine eight five. Father Brian Malady's in the house. It's EWTN's Open Line Thursday. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call one eight three three two eight eight EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. From Rome to your home with news from EWTN's Vatican Bureau, you can watch all of the important events from Rome, even if you don't have TV access. Using the latest technology, we've made it possible to watch the latest news from the Holy See all delivered directly to your home via live streams. Watch live on EWTM YouTube, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. That's all the news from EWTN's Vatican Bureau. 
833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. We had an email that was similar, and we've got uh, Dana, who is on Facebook. Uh, We might as well just get this out of the way now, Father. Dana asks, with tomorrow's act of consecration to the Immaculate Heart of Mary for Russia and Ukraine, is there a way I, as a layperson, can participate? Will it be more of a Mass or a prayer session? Well, I think the Pope is going to do it at Mass, I believe, the Annunciation, but they actually have the prayer online, and I'm sure that uh, probably EWTN would be doing it online. Well, we'll be they'll be carrying it live on TV, we'll be carrying it live on okay. EWTN Radio Essentials, and if they go to EWTN.com, the first slide in the slideshow there... They can click on that and get all the details for as far as our coverage goes. Good. So you could do it with EWTN. That would be an excellent thing to do. Or, you know, you could just do it yourself. Yeah. Um, Judy is our leadoff hitter today in northeast Nebraska, listening on Spirit Catholic Radio. Judy, you're on with Father Brian Milady. Hello, fellas. It's good to talk to you. Thank you for everything you're doing for the Lord. It's our joy. My question is, um, so God created animals on the sixth day. Do all the animals have a soul? Does my dog have a soul, the cow, the lion, or just the human being? All right, this is an interesting question to answer, and it requires some thinking. (laughs) Uh, Any living thing has a soul but not an immortal soul. So plants have a soul, but it's not a spiritual soul. Animals have a soul, but it's not a spiritual soul, which means that when the plant's body dies, if you want to put it that way, or it's eaten or it corrupts, it ceases to exist. When the animal's body dies, the soul ceases to exist. Man has an immortal soul. His soul is spiritual. When his body dies, his soul continues to exist forever. Now, this is an unnatural condition. And yet, there's no solution for it as far as we are concerned. Because there's no power in our souls to make our bodies live forever. And there's no power in our bodies to live forever. And yet, the soul and the body should live forever together. This is uh, one of the reasons why we need theology as a, a discipline, as a not way of knowing, knowledge of, because there are certain questions reason can't resolve. So, when Christ rises from the dead like a ring to a finger, the solution to this problem is seen. Remember, the resurrection of the dead bodies is a miracle. It's not natural to the body. So that would be the answer. Yes, your animal does have a soul. It's a sensitive soul because animals are quite sensitive. As you know, they even have sense knowledge. They can almost seem human, but they're not capable of uh, logical, rational thought. So they don't have a spiritual soul that's immortal. Does that help, Judy? Yes. 
Yes, <laughs> yes, it makes perfect sense. I'm so glad. Thank you so much for your answer. Surely. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Next up is the great state of Michigan. Dan is a first-time caller listening on Holy Family Radio. Dan, you're on with Father Brian Mullady. Uh, thanks for having me on. I uh, Basically, my question is concerning the catechism. Uh, you know, I, I take it that the catechism, obviously, is what the church believes, and that's what Catholics believe. But I was recently having a conversation with somebody in my parish, just one of those conversations you have around a beer, and he was talking about government, and he, he feels like he's truly an anarchist, and that Christ would support anarchy. And I said, well, God instituted government, and he, we may not agree with them, but he uses them. And, of course, the Catechism talks about government and things like that. But uh, he said, well, I just don't believe what the Catechism says. And, I, of course... There are certain things in the Catechism that are prudential judgments, I believe, uh, but I, I guess it's confusing to me to know how much of the Catechism is absolutely what we must believe and what is what are things that are up to our own conscience, and how do you know what the difference is? <laughs> we have to believe all of it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, the Catechism is meant... Now, of course, there are some things that depend on the time, but generally, the Catechism was made to express what our faith is. In uh, 1986, when the bishops had their meeting to celebrate the 20th anniversary of the end of Vatican II, there's been such theological ferment about what we believed that they asked uh, that there be a clear statement of the faith made because they weren't quite sure what we still believed after Vatican II. And the Catechism was what was produced to do that. And if you recall, it went not only through a committee in Rome, but it went to all the Episcopal conferences in the whole world. They all had input into it, and then it was collated together and presented to the Pope, and then the Pope approved it. So it is a statement of our faith, and you can't disagree with it. I'm sorry. And it purposely is a statement of our faith and a summary of our faith. Now, the difference between this catechism and some of the ones before it, like the Catechism of Pius X or the Catechism of uh, Council of Trent, is that uh, they were especially solicitous to put scriptural references in it because Vatican II emphasized the use of scripture. But as a statement of faith, it's, it's a statement of faith. And uh, so... Uh, no, I don't think Christ would support anarchy. I'm sorry, because anarchy is irrational. It destroys the rule of law, and human law has to reflect natural law, which has to reflect divine law. And societies and authority are based in the natural law, and the church recognizes the natural law. In fact, in John Paul II's encyclical on morals, uh, he says pointedly, Veritatis Splendor, the church's teaching on that, um, say Thomas Aquinas' teaching on natural law, which the church has made her own, states this. Uh, it's true, a lot of things philosophically are things you can debate, but not the bottom line. You can't debate the bottom line. And there are certain explanations you can't debate in the sense that if you try to make a new one, it can't contradict the old one. It has to try to expand 
the old one. So the answer is it all obliges you in faith. It's the ordinary magisterium. Um, next stop, we'll actually stay right there in the state of Michigan. Cedric is also in Michigan listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Cedric, what's your question today for Father Milady? Well, thank you for answering my call. I was um, listening, listening to a caller yesterday talking about the resurrection. I mean, um, yeah, the three days and three nights. And um, you answered the question, but I was um, looking in the book of Daniel. Daniel 9 and 27, it said the Messiah should be put off in the midst of the week. And that was from the I can't KKK. understand you. You're, you're breaking up. Could um, you speak more clearly, please? Well, what, he, what he's saying is he's got a, a bit of a bad connection there, uh, Father. And w- what he is saying is he, uh, Father Mitch received a question yesterday about huh. the three days uh, before Jesus' resurrection. And he, right. uh, Father Mitch explained that that would have been the back, you know, the end of Friday. Saturday, and then the beginning of Sunday. It's not three right. 24-hour periods, but it encompasses right. three different days. And what Cedric is asking about is Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, when it says the Messiah will come in the midst of the week. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> the Catholic yeah. Church teaches that it's, you know... I mean, remember, Daniel, uh, the prophecies of Daniel are loaded with allegories. And uh, how you interpret those allegories is somewhat very difficult. Uh, Balshazar had difficulty. That's why he asked Daniel, you know, to interpret it for him. Um, You have the weeks, you have the statue with, you know, the the pottery and all that business. It's all very, very apocalyptic, and it's all a Jewish, particular Jewish form. So I would beware of using just one tiny little phrase in the prophecy of Daniel to completely overcome what the Catholic Church has taught and the Christian Church for 2,000 years. Yeah, and that's, that's kind of a key point, that that has always and everywhere been the teaching of the Church, right? Right, right. Absolutely. Thank mm-hmm. you, Cedric. We appreciate the phone call today. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we still want to hear from you. That number is 1-205-271-2985. And uh, we will even put you straight to the front of the line at 1-205-271-2985. And you know, Father, uh, with regards to the the consecration that's going to take place um, tomorrow, there are some people that are getting their knickers in a bit of a twist saying that the consecration ordered by Our Lady at Fatima has already been taken place, and, uh, and this, that, and the other thing. And uh, our Vice President of Theology, Colin Donovan, on Open Line Friday uh, last week, you know, really kind of made the point that, you know, who cares if it counted or if it didn't count? A consecration is a consecration, and it's always good. Absolutely. Well, I've known people, too, who claimed that, you know, Lucia said it had been made. But I've known people who claim that they kidnapped Lucia and replace her with the double just to say that. Um, this Fatima thing, I love Our Lady of Fatima. Someone was asking me here at the parish, and I, 
Now, it has to be the right language. I said, no, our lady's not a legal scholar. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's fine. We need to pray for Russia all the time. We need to pray that it will convert, as we need to pray for everything else that will convert. And uh, so, fine, we're going to make it to Mary. I'm glad. I'm happy to do it. <laughs> but please don't argue about this kind of stuff. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. It's Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Mullady. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. 833-288-EWTN, that's our toll-free phone number. We've got some open lines for you and plenty of time for your calls at 833-288-3986. Next up is Willie in Columbia, South Carolina, listening on Catholic Radio in South Carolina. Willie, you're on with Father Brian Mullady. Thank you. I'd like to know why God became angry with David because David counted the people. And um, he gave David oh, the ultimatum. Okay, well, I have some ideas about that. I'm glad you asked. Uh, God wanted David to rely on him. Remember, he, it wasn't Israel uh, was a society founded where God was its actual head. They did have different mediators of God's authority. Originally, they were the judges, remember. But then they wanted to be have a king just like everybody else. And you remember that the prophet says, okay, you get a king, you're going to get somebody who your children for him and his chariot, and he's going to persecute you, basically. And then he remembered they offered the kingship to all the trees of the forest, and none of them will accept it because they'll have to give up all the good things they're doing. And then the buckthorn says, oh, I'll reign over the trees, all right. So the idea is that David himself knew this, of course. As, as did Saul, but Saul sinned too, that God is the, uh, the, the authority in Jerusalem. He's the authority in Israel, like he's the authority in the Catholic Church. And the king only is a participant in that. And so to number the people is to suggest that we're going to take over deciding whether we as a community can survive in the world without God's aid. And that is a terrible conclusion for someone who realizes how much God loves them. Uh, the fact of our trust in God, remember, trust not in horses and chariots, but in the name of the Lord, and not to us, Lord, not to us, but to the glory. So the person who numbers the in the census is not acting like a divinely established kingdom. He's acting like a human kingdom, which, which is fine for human kingdoms, but not for God's kingdom. And so uh, he's suggesting that uh, they can manipulate or control everything, and they don't have to allow God's control in the thing. So that's why God's anger is so deep toward him. And remember, he gets the punishments that he can decide on. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 
288-3986. We've got a question. Put your pastoral hat on. Uh, put your pastoral Beretta on, Father. Uh, Joan writes in, I go to Mass most, most days, but I just don't feel as compelled to go when I know it's only going to be a communion service. Am I thinking wrongly? Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, the um, Mass is more than a communion service, obviously. It's also a sacrifice. Unfortunately, people have become very confused about that. I gave a talk on this once, and uh, one of the people in the audience said, you know, Father, you're right about that. Uh, We went to the beach, and there was a chapel at the beach, but of course there wasn't the priest available on Sunday. And so a sister came and led a communion service. And as we were leaving the chapel, one of the women who went with me said, Oh, gosh, this was nice. I like Sister's Mass much better than Father's. <laughs> it's much shorter. <laughs> she hadn't tumbled to the fact that it left out important elements like the offertory consecration. And consecration. <laughs> uh, the communion service, I think, is offered to the laity as the next best thing. But since it, isn't, it doesn't fulfill the obligation, and it's impossible to fulfill the obligation because of the lack of presence of a priest, then I would say that you wouldn't be committing a sin not to go. But of course, uh, it would be very helpful to you, even to your spiritual life, to go and receive communion. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. We've had some people call in, Father, and they're wondering, uh, back to your favorite topic, Our Lady of Fatima, that since Our Lady said to consecrate Russia to her Immaculate Heart, is there a problem with the Holy Father tomorrow uh, consecrating both Russia and Ukraine? Uh, I don't think it was limited to one or the other. Uh, No, because uh, obviously, for one thing, Ukraine was a part of Russia (laughs) when when the 1917 revelation occurred. Uh, Remember, it was only separated from Russia after World War II, well, not even then, it was recently. After the Iron so, Curtain fell. Yeah, well, after, yeah, that's the right. The breakup of the Soviet Union. That's right, and it was a part of Tsarist Russia, too. So it's hundreds of years it's been a part of Russia, and it's only become an independent country. And before that, I was a part of Poland, at Poland-Lithuania. Uh, and uh, you, the Ukraine was a part of that huge kingdom, basically, 400 years ago. So no, I don't think there's any problem with that. Please don't get too legalistic about yeah. this. Let me let me say this. I'm going to say this. <laughs> Private revelations, no matter how much how popular they are, and the church has certainly made this one a very important one and at least but private revelations are only matters of human faith. They are not a matter of divine faith. So if there should be someone who doesn't really believe in Fatima. Now, that I'd, I'd be sorry if they didn't, because it's a beautiful revelation. But they wouldn't be guilty of heresy or a bad Catholic. Whereas if you deny the divine maternity of Mary, you'd be a heretic and, uh, you know, not really a part of the church exactly anymore in its fullness. So please, private revelations bind only other human faith. And... Uh, Trying to pick this apart and dissect it and make it legalistic where 
I had someone tell me the other day, Mary, you have to use certain language. I said, no, Mary isn't a legal scholar. I mean, I don't get it. I really don't. And uh, you need to be a little freer in, in your understanding of this. Yeah, Adding would, Ukraine to it is certainly not going to change the consecration. I certainly wouldn't propose to know the mind of the Holy Father, but it wouldn't surprise me if the revelation came that he included both countries as a as a distinction between this and the previous consecration. Yeah, that could be. But, but I don't think... Go ahead. I don't think they think on a, that deep a level, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. We head next to North Dakota. Kim is in North Dakota listening on Real Presence Radio. Kim, you are on with Father Milady. <laughs> Hello. I have kind of a silly question. I feel silly about it. Um. When I'm going up for communion, um, sometimes, well, all the time, they delegate a woman um, to also hand out. Is he a minister? Pardon? Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, an extraordinary minister. Yes. Go right ahead. <laughs> and um, I feel like I'm holding up the line sometimes because I kind of want to refuse to go. I just feel like that it should be... Um, administered. <laughs> and uh, I, I guess I just want to know your thoughts on that. Well, can't you get in line where the priest is giving communion? Um, yes, I, I, I like refuse. I want to refuse and I refuse to go to her. I want to go to the priest. I just want to know your thoughts on taking communion from the woman. Well, it's not wrong, but I do understand why a lot of people want to get the communion optionally from the hand of the priest because his hands are consecrated and he said the, the mass. So if that's a problem for you, it's not a problem for everyone. But if that's a problem for you, just get in the line where the priest is giving communion. Don't make us think about it and don't ref say I'm refusing this, etc. Just walk over and get in the other line. Your turn. Pardon me. It, it's just one line, and when it's your turn, um, uh, you go to whoever is free at the time. And so I feel like I'm holding no, up the line. No, but that's that's easy. Just take a just you know if 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 the if the the lady is distributing on the left and the priest is distributing on the right, and your your number comes up and it's the you're supposed to go to the lady. Just politely take a step to the right and just wait for a minute. Absolutely. Does that give you any comfort, Kim? Or not going to the woman. I, I'm free to make that choice. Absolutely. Myself. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, Kim. We appreciate that. Just change lines. Yeah, 833-288-EWTN yes. <laughs> is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Uh, Warren in Buffalo asks, the last sentence of a recent reading includes the words, God repented of the evil which he said he would do to them, and he did not do it, from the book of Jonah. How is it that God would or could do anything evil? Well, uh, God doesn't do anything morally evil. But when it comes to something physically evil, it's certainly possible for God to recognize that someone is not um, 
living what they should live. And in his providence, he makes a requirement for them to uh, avoid experiencing uh, uh, some, uh, well, destruction, for example, of their city by uh, converting because he can make that depend upon it. Now, of course, we don't look, it's hard for us to see this because we don't see time from eternity. But that's basically seeing time from eternity. And you remember what Jonah said, 40 days more and Nineveh will be destroyed. Uh, it, it, it depended on their ability to experience conversion and repentance. And to his astonishment, they actually convert. And remember, Nineveh was uh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrians were known for their ferocity in the ancient world where when they conquered a city, they basically totally destroyed it. Like the Russians are destroying Ukrainian cities now. They basically left a scorched earth policy. It's one of the reasons why Jonah didn't want to go to them to begin with and got swallowed by the whale. So, uh, but of course, that issue. <laughs> and then Jonah had to go and preach repentance. That was what God sent him to do. He didn't want to do it. And to his astonishment, they actually convert. So it's, a, a, it's, it's also vivid language where we are anthropomorphizing God. Obviously, God doesn't repent and he doesn't. But it, it's trying to express what happens on earth from his point of view. It's hard to believe, but this Sunday is the sixth anniversary of Mother Angelica's passing. Uh, please join us for Holy Mass uh, and the Holy Rosary in her memory from Our Lady of the Angels Chapel right here on campus at EWTN starting at 8 a.m. Eastern Time, and it'll be covered on EWTN Television and EWTN Radio Essentials. And for photos, milestones, heartfelt stories, and more from the remarkable life of Mother Angelica, visit EWTN.com slash Mother Angelica. We head next to Louisiana. Mary is in the bayou listening on the EWTN app. Mary, you're on with Father Brian Milady. Hi, Father. Thank you for taking my call. I something that's been bothering me all my life since I lost my mom when I was a teenager and my brother was killed as a teenager and he was just so young and innocent and Father told me back then that We'll never see him again. You know, we'll see him as a brother and a sister in heaven, but as a family, no. That I could never grasp. And for a long time, I wouldn't go to church because of it. But then, you know, I didn't want to stay mad forever. Then I started going back to church, and now I go every, I don't go every Sunday, but I do pray every day on church with TV on church and the rosary on church and that church. And I just, my question is why were we put on earth to have a family taken away from us? And then we would never know them again. Why? And then number two, purgatory. When we die, we go to purgatory. I mean, we not awful things. We never did awful things in our lives, just the normal stuff. But how bad is purgatory? Is purgatory fire? I mean, we go in there to be reclined to go to heaven, right? All right. Well, let me take each question at a time. 
first of all, God put us on earth to enjoy each other as a family when, while we're here, insofar as his will and nature uh, permit. But the final enjoyment will be in the enjoyment in heaven. So that's why God put us on earth to go to heaven. This is a pilgrimage here. And so he's not depriving you exactly of your brother. You had him. You should bless God for the time you had him physically present to you. But he's not absent from you. Spiritually, he's present to you. I've, many people I've known that have been friends of mine who died, I can feel their presence at certain times in my life. Secondly, purgatory is for those who are worthy of heaven, but they have certain things that are unresolved from earth in themselves or in the world around them. Now, if your brother was a, truly an innocent and he never did anything at all to hurt anyone or wasn't more than, let's say, a venial sinner, then he would probably go right to heaven, not to purgatory. But many of us, especially the long life, we have things in our character that are left unresolved. If we've defrauded somebody, we may not have paid them back. If we've lied and caused someone's reputation to be destroyed, we may not have been able to change that. If we've been unduly angry and hurt someone because of it, we have to address our undue anger. And of course, you know, you can experience your purgatory on earth by active works of repentance. But suppose you don't do that. Suppose you die like that. Well, you, haven't, you die in the state of grace. You uh, confessed all your mortal sins. But there's still this thing that needs to be resolved in you. And whether or not there's fire there is, uh, I don't really know. But it's a passive purgation. In other words, you can't do anything active to resolve this. You have to suffer it because you have no body. However, people on earth can by their activities through a union of love in Christ help you to resolve for this immediately in plenary indulgence. That's what indulgences are about. By applying certain prayers and certain practices. So, and basically the soul ends purgatory when the soul feels ready to meet Christ. Because you wouldn't want to meet Christ with all these resentments in your unresolved things. Because it wouldn't be with the fullness of your love. So that's basically what, what the truth is about it. God bless you, Mary. We appreciate the phone call. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Next up is Dan in the great state of Connecticut, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Dan, welcome to the program. Hi, and my question is this. How do we get the word out through the church? You can't attend same-sex weddings. You can't have vasectomies, and you can't join the Masons. I'm shocked at the amount of Catholic men that are doing this. Yeah, so am I. <laughs> so am I. Uh, part of it is because of the way some of these things have been presented you know, Masonism is presented as just uh, people who build swimming pools for poor kids or found hospitals. But Freemasonry is actually a religion. And some many people join it, I think, because of business opportunities. There's a lot of businessmen are in it. 
but it's basically a religion, and it's a religion uh, basically that holds that we, uh, by our reason and our industry, can basically resolve for all the mysteries of the world, and that every religion is equal when it comes to expressing this, and there is no doctrine involved that you have to affirm. And they even have rituals, as you know, which are like religious rituals, where they celebrate the all-seeing eye and that sort of thing. Regarding the same-sex marriages and things, well, most, I would say a great number of Catholics, and it's shock, shocking how many there are, know absolutely nothing about their religion. Of course, it's not just true of Catholics and their religion, it's true of people in colleges and universities generally today. As far as I can tell, most of the reason you go to school today is to learn to be offended. People don't know anything. And even mathematics, they say, is a result of cultural um, white supremacy, logic. Well, I'm waiting to see the bridge that's built with people who think the mathematics doesn't have to be logical and two plus two don't have to equal four. I wonder how long it's going to stand. So a similar thing is true in religion. And there's a lot of ignorance about it, even among practicing Catholics. I knew so I had some friends, two men who were practicing Catholics, and one was very devout, and the other was somewhat devout. And it came as big news to them that vasectomy was a sin. Well, what do you mean it's a sin? I said, well, it's birth control, isn't it? It's contraception. Well, gee, I guess that's true. <laughs> I said, yes, it is. And I explained it to them, and when one of the men left, the other one stayed and he said, you know, Father, deep down we knew it was wrong, but we refused to admit it to ourselves. So uh, I'm shocked too. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. We could probably squeeze in another phone call. Um, Pamela writes in, and this is another one that there's, for whatever reason, there's confusion out there about this for as often as the question gets asked. She says, my mother-in-law died about 18 months ago, and my husband had her cremated, but she's not been buried yet. Is this detrimental to her or to my husband since burying the dead is one of the corporal works of mercy? And we've lost Father, uh, Father Milady, but Pamela, I'll take a swing at this for you. Um, what I'll tell you is, uh, you know, I can't speak upon uh, the, the condition of, of either your husband's soul uh, or um, his mother, um, but the teaching is clear uh, of Holy Mother Church that the... Um, the the cremains cremation is now well we have father brian back now so rather than answering it myself i'll let brian answer it and essentially this this uh this this woman pamela she her inkling is that her husband needs to get his mother's remains buried <laughs> or put in a niche or something yes and i'm i'm assuming uh, yes. you would you would concur Yes, because uh, putting it in an urn on your mantelpiece or wearing a locket around you or whatever is irreverent to the body. And remember, the body has participated in the virtuous life of the soul, and it's a holy thing, too. And so that's why we incense the body. And if Catholic Church does allow cremation now, provided that it's not for a religious reason, which means if you think that the body's evil and has to be destroyed for the soul to go to heaven like the Eastern religions, some of them believe. 
But you must show reverence to the body, too. For example, if you're buried at sea, uh, cremated, you have to put the urn sealed into the ocean. Scattering ashes is very, very irreverent. And we don't permit that. So, Father, where are you on, during this Lenten season? Uh, Lent, Lent and Advent, I know, are big times for parishes to give parish missions. Uh, give a little shout-out for where you're at now and where you may be going in the near future. I am at St. Augustine's Church in Sing Sing, Ozzening, <laughs> New York. <laughs> they finally caught up with me and sent me up the river to the prison. <laughs> Sing Sing. And then next week I will be in Santa Clarita, California, and the last week of Lent, I will be in Salinas, California. So you're uh, scanning the breadth and depth of our great nation on your uh, missionary journeys here. And uh, and then you get a little break, huh? I get four days, and then I go to do Holy Week in Nashville. <laughs> and yeah. that's an annual event for you. It's an annual event for me, and it's beautiful. <laughs> um, yeah. Do you... Um, is, is Sing Sing still a working prison? Yes, it is. In fact, the chaplain lives here in this rectory. Oh, yeah, very good. So yeah. you're not going to be the making... The parish is beautiful. It overlooks the Hudson. has a panorama view of the Hudson. Yeah, well, and the priests good. are very nice. Yes. Well, uh-huh. as you know, there was, there was never a doubt in my mind that your deeds would catch up with you eventually. And maybe it's, it's better now so you can have an opportunity to make amends before... Uh, uh, before you're finding out what purgatory looks like, huh? <laughs> well, I'm doing my purgatory trying to get to these places on southwest in the middle of the weather. Yeah, that's so difficult. I had three flights canceled on three different days trying to get from D.C. to Fort Lauderdale. Well, keep Father Brian in your prayers as his travels Please. continue. Father, would you Please. leave us with a blessing? May the blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, descend upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. On behalf of our host, Father Brian Malady, our producer, Michael McCall, call screener Matt Kubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line Thursday. Back at it tomorrow with our very own Vice President of Theology, Mr. Colin Donovan. Until then, God bless.